Welcome to the Amplify to Seven Figures podcast, where we look inside the mind of seven-figure entrepreneurs to see how they amplify their business and amplify their life. Let's welcome today's guest. Today's guest is an engaged international speaker all about speed and the agility of people and organizations. He's the author of 16 books and over 100 papers. He is a part-time full professor at the Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands, and he's also the CTO of Proud Awareness We On. Please give a very warm welcome to Rini Van Sonnegen. How are you doing, Rini? Oh, fine, Paul. Thank you. I am super excited to have you on the show today. And we're going to be speaking about a little bit of a different subject than I think any of the guests that we've had on at the moment. And there's a lot a lot of stuff that you you talk about that a lot of people get confused about what it actually is. I right? understand. So uh, firstly, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Scrum. Okay, um, like uh, I've worked in businesses before and, and they say, oh, we've got Scrum in the morning. It's just like the daily huddle. However, <laughs> Scrum isn't really that, is it right? So it's, Scrum's like a certain way of working as, as a seven-figure business. So just explain a little bit about what is Scrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the risk, I'm going to give you a mini lecture, which I don't think is the purpose of the, pod, uh, of the podcast. Um, Scrum is a framework. It's, I wouldn't even call it a method or an approach. It's a framework I invented almost 30 years ago by uh, Jeff Sutherland and uh, Ken Schwaber. And it has evolved over time into a way of working, which helps teams, helps organization to combine innovation and flexibility with predictability and uh, uh, delivery. And it, it, ha- it has a kind of process, it has roles, it has commitments, it has, has meetings, but I don't think these are the most important. I think it's all about uh, working in short cycles, mm-hmm. uh, having a clear purpose or a clear product goal that you're try- trying to achieve, and then let the team figure out how to fulfill the goal. So instead of making a plan up front uh, where you know everything and just have to execute on the plan, you, you, you accept that, you, that the plan is probably faulty and you also accept that you you don't know ever, everything up front. So you are clarity of clarity on the goal, on the purpose, on the definition of success. And then iteratively, step by step, you let the team achieve the goal. Um, and because of that, the sprints, so the short iterations be, are predictable because you're delivering within one or two, maybe three weeks. But at the same hand, your flexibility to change because every sprint at the end, you can adapt and you can uh, redirect your purpose or you can redirect the approach. Do you, do you find well? Why, why do you think this, especially as, as companies get bigger and bigger and bigger, like the projects seem to take longer and longer and longer? Why? Why is that? I think there's the problem is that we we, we stem for an, an era uh, from the industrial uh, revolution where let's say predictability and control uh, were at the core of what we did. So uh, we had smart people thinking drawing up a plan that you simply had to execute. And the changes and innovations went uh, were slow enough to adapt on course. What you see, however, now due to digitization, the world is speeding up. And because of that, you know, just drawing up a plan that you execute is probably all in, in only in certain exceptional situations feasible, but most of the time you don't know. Yes, you have an idea and half of it is right and half of it is wrong. And that's why you see, let's say, because of the complexity and the size of organizations, the plans are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. 
But what you should do is you should let the goals become bigger and bigger, bigger, and the plan smaller. So then you say from this huge, big goal, we're going to achieve the shortest possible, uh, the biggest value in the shortest amount of time. At least we have that value and that result. And then we inspect and adapt further. So I think it's, it's a way of working that lets large organizations that have been built on, on predictability, command and control, a plan-driven approaches to adapt to a changing environment. And for some, it's easy. For some, it's not. Uh, Scrum can help you in that, but I don't think that the solution isn't Scrum. I think the solution is, let's say, in, in the personal mindset of the people, the leaders, the way of the organization that you start to accept that when you have a plan, it probably is a wrong one. And you have to find out as soon as possible where to, where to adapt. And the goal is leading, not the plan. Mm, yeah. I, and I think that's a really important thing for anyone to know is doesn't matter whether you're just getting started at five five figures or seven figures. It's almost like that perfectionism as well. Uh, like if you've just got to get it right first time, and it's it's not going to work out that way, especially when you're trying to innovate. No, and, and I think, you know, organizations in the past have been perfectizing their production process, have been perfectizing their delivery processes. But what we should do in a, in a changing world, not per- perfectize our, our production or delivery process, but perfectize our learning process, our discovery process, our innovation. And then Scrum is a great start and many organizations uh, benefit from it. Others don't. I mean, it's, it's just a tool. Eh? So, but I think, you know, the, the general principle is that we start to accept that in a, in a digital world, which we are still inventing, you know, I think there's 90% still undiscovered and we don't know what it is. You know, it, the discovery and the learning process is more important than trying to make the perfect plan. Yeah, super, super, super powerful. It's just and that whole like take massive action as well is yeah yeah is, is key to at that. the same time you know scrum has the big risk and that's also why you see some companies uh, uh, run into the mock is that they start to think that the process is leading and the process is is, is going to solve your problem and it's not it's 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 a tool and i always i try to compare it to you know some people go to to the gym huh? they want to be nimble and agile uh, from a from a physical uh, perspective and in the early weeks they have this plan you know that says you know do five times this do 10 times this do 20 times this and it may work in the beginning but when when you go to the gym already for years you're not sticking to a plan like that yeah you're you're, you're setting yourself goals so you're trying out what works for you because your body is different than the body from somebody else so i think you know that's the analogy you should use it's it's let's like fitness in 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 business life and um yes it's great to start with an approach eh? it's it's great to start with a diet or something it's it's great to start with scrum but don't think scrum will solve your problems you have to do it yourself and that's in any situation it's in life it's in business it's in wherever you are and something that fascinated me about you rini as well is you so you wrote a management book about formula one yeah Um, (laughs) Why Formula One? Oh, that's that's. I'm, I'm not sure how long we how long we we have, but let's say, uh, to be honest, it started with my publisher. You know, I've been uh, writing a couple of management novels before. And my publisher ringing me up and saying, "Hey, Rini, uh, what do you have with Formula One?" So I was hoping them to give me tickets. So I said, "Oh, I'm a big fan." Uh, <laughs> in the end, they wanted the book. Hey, you know, uh, Max is getting popular in the in the, in the Netherlands. Formula One is on top of mind. We we're getting a race back to Zandvoort. So they thought, you know, maybe we there's some business leadership combination with it so i thought well that's that's a second okay because i like writing books so i i I did some research read some books and then um but i'm still let's say 
I'm a spectator, you know, I'm an, an amateur watcher and I like it. But I ran into Julian Kramer, um, who is really a, a, a big fan. He's a Formula One expert, knows everything. It's his biggest hobby. He reads all the blogs, uh, watches all the videos and stuff like this. And I knew him, you know, from uh, my management consulting. And he heard about that I was thinking and pre preparing the book. So he immediately said, uh, the, uh, shall we do it together? And so we teamed up. Uh, mm. Me from the, the management novel experience and outlining a story, he from his Formula One expertise, and then we teamed together. And since then, I'm, I'm, I'm more than a fan. I'm really admiring Formula One because when you dive into it, you start to really to understand. And I always thought that, that, that Formula One was about technology, was about engines, was about technical stuff, build the fastest car and then just drive your laps and win. But I've learned that the Formula One is one big learning machine. It's not about it, the winning and the driving is there to just to collect the data to learn how to run the, the, the next round to get, uh, better or how to make the curve better or the next race. So it's all about collecting data, getting experience. And then the race engineer and the driver are this symbiotic twin, you know, that they try to f sense and feel the car and, and look at the data and, and see where the, the next level, where, the, where these hundreds of seconds lie, because these hundreds of seconds, they add up to and they add up to, 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 to full seconds. And that's what I really admire about Formula One, that when you really go into it, you see this is, this is all about learning on, on every level. It, yeah, it's interesting what you say about you know, Formula One in general. And do you think that it, that comes back to culture as well? If, is like there's this culture of growth in like micro... It, it, it sounds like there's a bit of a theme across all of it. It's all about micro improvements and just... Yeah, like because we talk about in conversational commerce all about micro commitments of like getting people just to raise a hand and say yes that makes that's me or yes that makes sense and then slowly they go towards a sale is it the same kind of thing in management it's 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 everywhere it's it's never big changes it's always small ones that add up and then in the end you think oh that was a big change um uh, one of the things i'm doing in in, in in my consultancy work is they were guiding companies in their digital transformation or, or guiding them in their agile transformation and the thing is that the successful transformations are always called a transformation afterwards mm -hmm. so they, they they make the change they make the micro changes they find a change here they do something here improve it over there make some restructuring and then in the end they look back and they say oh wow Look what we've achieved. And then they go to the conferences and they tell the stories. They write the books. But in the process itself, it, it hardly feels of a transformation. It's just thinking about what's my biggest problem now. How can I solve it for 80% in 20% of the time and see what the next step is? So it's all small steps. And, you know, it's in any sports. It's not just in Formula One and it's also not in management. I'm not a golfer, but I also hear about, about golf, you know, the, the, the difference of the ball. Uh, on the green, you know, it's, 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 it's not even a millimeter here on the ball. So it's, it's really, it's, it's always on small things, but small things don't sell very well, uh, Paul. So that's why you have to write books about big changes and big transformations. But in the end, you know, it's all about the minor, the minor things, like, like, like at the gym. Huh? Yeah. Small steps every day. And then in the end, you get fit, lose the kilos, so win the marathon, win the Olympics. But you don't become an Olympic gold winner by uh, making a big step it's 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 a long sequence of small ones and do, do you think do you think that's even more transparent now than because because if you look back like 20 30 40 years people were looking for those incremental changes a little bit more but now everyone's got this instant gratification because we can get what we want when we want it you know uh, i was speaking to one of 
one of my staff and, and, and they, they were saying they had to go and travel like four or five hours to get a mattress. And I, I'm like, I could just ring up Amazon and, and, and get one well, ring up Amazon, just go and press one button and I get a mattress delivered the next day. So yeah, like that's 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 it. and 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 it's it's on several levels. Huh? On the one hand, the instant gratification is great. On the other one, you know, don't uh, be be careful. You don't get become a, a dog in the park, huh? trying to catch every rabbit, but don't catch any. Huh? Yeah. So so the instant gratification it's it's what there is, and it's something to build upon. And from the iterative perspective, it really fits to business. It fits to people. Um, on the other hand, you know, I think you know also from the customer perspective, it, it, this this plays a role. And uh, one of the one of my inspirators, one of my my gurus is Steve Denning. And Steve, you know, he has very visual visually uh, uh, gave the the, the 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 example of the what he calls the Copernican revolution in management. And his 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 explanation of the Copernican revolution management. Copernicus, by the way, was the was 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 the, the Polish scientist who who showed that it it's not the Earth the center of the universe, but it's the Sun, and the yeah. Earth is circling the Sun and not vice versa, which was pretty shocking at that time because every day they could see the Sun go up and the Sun go go down, so they, they actually could see the Sun uh, turning around the Earth, and actually they found out it was the other way around, and and that's what you see in organizations as well because most traditional organizations have the feeling they are the center of the universe and that our customers are circling around them but mm. it's vice versa eh? each customer is the center of his or her universe and there's several companies or, or suppliers or friends or or, or or partners circling around them and and if you adopt that approach you know then you, you put the customers really at the, his or her center and digital uh ways give the opportunity to do that because you can give every customer their unique personalized experience i think then the instant gratification really becomes becomes a virtue because that way you can really help customers and you don't need customer lock-in which we used in the past mm -hmm. uh, you don't need customer lock-in but you can use customer love-in because they actually love you so why would they change you know just like in normal relationships uh, why, why why change when you love your spouse yeah i like uh i met my wife when i was like 17 and the um so like some someone Someone said to me, you, you know, like, how, how did you find, how do you know you find the right person like so early on? I was like, when you've got the best steak in town, why, why go to another restaurant? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's actually when you, I, I can, we're the same. Huh? My, my, my wife and I, we met when she was 16 and I was 18. So, oh, wow. and we're still together. But, you know, at the time, you know, I didn't realize, you know, this is, it was not like the flash of lightning. And I say, oh, well, this is the, the, the princess for me for the rest of my life. No, you, you get along, you develop together. And, and you know, then that, that's where the value, where the, where, where the gold is. And you, so you also, the relationships are, are being developed uh, uh, iteratively, at least in my case. I'm not sure how it was with you paul well yeah yeah exactly very very similar and like like you say it's those micro changes that you don't even notice and um i'm not sure if you've got kids but like uh even seeing my niece grow up it's the same kind of thing and they 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 come back to you after maybe two or three months of not seeing them and then they're like oh wow they've grown so much yeah but then that the parents don't see it. I'm going. I don't, I'm not even noticing growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the same. You know, even with your kitchen, when you go away for a weekend or for a holiday, and, and they're with the, with, with the parents or the, their grandparents, after a week you see the change. Wow, you know that they've grown, but you you don't see it. And it's so everything, whatever you do, like to achieve big goal, uh, a clear purpose. Ideally, also something that makes the world better. But maybe we we, we uh, touch upon that that later, uh, and work on it iteratively. It's impossible to change, do, do big changes. It's always small ones. Mm. 
Now, now let's talk a little bit about speaking as well. So you do you do a lot of lectures. You know, you you also lecture at the university and and do some other stuff outside of that. So how how do you go ahead and and engage an audience? How do you keep someone interested through through those kind of things? Oh, oh, that's that's it's that's that we we could spend hours on. I, I spend hours on it, but give me let me give you um, a few a few tips, a few tricks. Um, first of all, of course, it's it, it, it's about the, the audience and the topic. I mean, you know, uh, depending on the audience, you're going to adapt. The topic. I mean, you know, you, they're your customer. They are the center of their universe. So, you know, it's not about me. It's not about the topic. It's about helping them the most. And one of the models that I've been taught by one of my speaking gurus, uh, Remco Klaas, uh, he has this triple E model. And he says, you know, a great presentation consists of three E's, um, education, um, entertainment, and empowerment. And what you see most speakers do is that they do 80%, 90% education. They're trying to, to push all their knowledge in a single 45 minutes to their audience. And, you know, they, they get flushed. It's a, it's, it's a tsunami of knowledge and models, and they, they really are like, like, like this. But a great presentation, I think, is only 10% education. You know, you take one model, maybe two, that's it. Mm. The second part is entertainment. Uh, and entertainment is maybe some jokes, but especially stories. Uh, real-life stories. Eh? Uh, Remco has told me people are suckers for stories. So anecdotes, real-life stories, examples, they're great. They're entertaining. They're, they're supporting the content part, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like lecturing. But the third part, that's the part where you get the A's, eh? that's, that you get a, a B lecture to an A lecture, or you get from a 9 to a 10, is empowerment. When the people in the audience really have the feeling that they find one, two, maybe three things that they can apply directly or that gives them the clarity why they're struggling so much. Uh, because mm -hmm. when you struggle, it's most of, most of the, 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 the cause is yourself. Uh, but you, like adults, you always think it's somebody else. But then you, in, in these kinds of lectures, you, you get the empowerment to see what you should do differently, what you can do or what you can try. And if you're one, two or three, that people are empowered. They know what to do. Uh, you know, they're, they're entertained. So they, they've had a laugh that they get some great examples. They were a little bit educated. You know, then they're really happy. They, they spent 45 minutes, one hour of their life, you know, and they, they laughed and they got something to take out of it. So I think that's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the biggest thing to do. Um, a, a third thing to do, I think, is about um, connecting to your audience. Mm. And a big mistake most speakers make is that they, they focus on their PowerPoints. They put they focus on their sleeve on their sheets on their slides. And and again, Remco told me that you should never share the stage with something that gives more light than yourself. Mm. So a PowerPoint or, or or slides should be supporting, but when the slide is on, it's about the slide and not about you. So you can put black slides in between uh, or, or, or whatever you do. My solution is to not use slides at all. Uh, maybe you can see on one of so, some of my videos, I'm also using flip charts yeah. because you can build up your story and, you know, the light is on you and you guide your audience. I think those are the three ones. And there's some technical things, which is also interesting is when you're online, yeah, watch the camera. I see too many people watch the screen, so they watch their audience. And because of when you do that, you're looking like this. And then people don't feel the connection because you're not looking at them. The way you look at them is look at the camera. Uh, in the beginning, I put some arrows on it. I saw some people put a, a Lego doll on top of the camera, but that's the way to make the connect. And the other one is, is mirroring. So mm -hmm. meaning this is left, this is right for you, not for me. Huh? And for, for you, this is past, 
and this is present. That's the other way around. So you move from, from right to left for yourself, but for the audience from left to right. So you're mirroring your gestures, and that also makes a great connect to people because they don't have to think, huh, why, why does he say we have to go into the future? Because the, the future is not there. The future is there. So, and so I will say, we go into the future, and they say, oh, it makes you connect. Well, if I would say it for me, you know, we're going to the right, we're going to the future, that doesn't make sense. So <laughs> try to mirror your gestures again to your audience because it's not about you. It's about them. So that was the, the mini, 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 mini lecture on presentation techniques. I, I, I like that. That's, it's, it's being self-aware, right? When you're, when you're on stage and thinking, like you say, looking at the customer journey and understanding what, what is going on from their mindset, not from what you're doing. And that's, that's not always easy because being on stage, being asked for conference, being asked to speak, it's also an ego boost. Mm. So before you know it, you think it's about you. Right? You think, oh, I'm a great speaker. I'm a great writer. I'm the, I, I'm, I'm the, 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 the one, you know, that people come to. I'm the mega pop star. But even for mega pop stars, they realize, you know, that, that they, they are a mega pop star, not because of them, but because of their fans. A fan base decides on the pop star. So it's always about the audience. It's always about them. And, you know, when you start to realize yourself, you can put your ego aside, you know, you, you leave it off the stage and then you can interact with the audience, answer their questions and guide them through their, their journey. And, and, and if they're laughing, you know, then it's also fun for me at least. I, 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 I live, I get energized by the laughter of an audience and the, the people that are there and they're, 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 they're looking at you and they're, they're laughing with your jokes and you see them understanding and, that's that's the energy for me yeah and and do you find it any different doing that online you, you know so i know you said about looking into the camera when you when you're online but do you, do you find that energy sometimes can be can be lacking because everyone like getting people to stand up for example is a lot more difficult when everyone's virtual yeah 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 well i, I think you know online has advantages and disadvantages let the let let's start with the disadvantage that you just just mentioned yes you cannot see the audience if you maybe you have some small some grid of, of faces but they will be behind virtual backgrounds sometimes they're calling there's a kid in there but i think you know the biggest tip is of course if i enjoy being on the stage and people in the audience and see are enjoying me being there you know it means i'm enjoying myself so also online enjoy it yourself if if you're not happy and not enjoying to give the talk online, you know, for, for sure the people on the other side notice. Yeah? So the, the, there's a few things you can do. But for me, what me helps for me is just to use my imagination that there are actually 1,000 people there. In fact, it could be 10,000 and 200,000. And I mean, you know, especially with videos, you know, they'd be watched over and over again. So you have, as a speaker, you know, that the biggest size of the audience I've been is probably a little over 1,000 people. Online, you know, I've already had crowds over 10,000 of people. So just imagine them you know and if you don't get energy from that you know you sh maybe you shouldn't be on stage it's that's the the, the 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 disadvantage but there's also an advantage i think from online and that's with stuff like breakout groups i give a lot of training yeah. and i'm not sure if you've given training in in, in in classroom settings but when you have a have an assignment people go into a breakout you know you give them 10 minutes then after 10 minutes you start to find the groups hey guys the time box is over please come back then one says oh i get a coffee the second one says oh, i go to the toilet the third says oh, i go to the toilet smoke a cigarette have a coffee so if you have a breakout of 10 minutes you should be happy that everybody's back in the room after 20 minutes yeah hey this online you know it's just brilliant i really you know i just press the button and bam everybody's back so it has advantages as well so so use the tools or use the online also for the advantages 
And uh, another thing I think which is really crucial is that you have to switch more. So when you are, let's say, are in a physical room, you, you switch immediately because people look around and that's for them, it's switched. They look at their neighbor, they look from the screen, they look to you. So they switch all the time. So that's, that's why they keep attention. Online, it's not because they only have one point to focus on, and that's the screen, yeah, or maybe at the clock or at the coffee or at the kit, uh, but not on the content level. So that's why you should switch more in your program. So what I like to do is I, I like many meter, for example, to use a poll, uh, maybe a short picture, uh, maybe do an exercise. So you, you, you need more interaction or more switching of formats to keep people's attention. I, I, I always call it the, the, the Cooper test uh, format. I'm not sure. Do you remember Cooper test poll from school? I, I don't. I don't think at high school, you know, you had that gymnastics in the summer. They had to do a Cooper test, which means you had to run around the track for twelve minutes and then see who comes the farthest. It's what we had to do in in school. Oh, twelve yeah, minutes. We hated it. Fight you were. <laughs> we, we hated it. Twelve minutes of running, but I think the twelve minutes is 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 the benchmark. So about every twelve minutes, you should switch formats, uh, and then. Polls come in handy, movies come in handy. Maybe let people do an exercise, do a quiz or whatever, you know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. There's so, so much stuff you can do there. And, you know, if if you're doing an event that you know is coming up and you've got plenty of time, you can even send them out physical stuff in the mail where we're yeah. like, you know, we could even do that. You could even do like that, pass the ball through the screens, right? Like virtually. I mean, there's so many solutions. There's so many things you can do. You know, I've seen, seen people do. Uh, I, I, last time I did with a big group, I did online memory. So I sent people off in groups of two and they had to be identical. Uh, so maybe put on the same hat or do something that they were identical. And then one by one, they had to open the camera. And then we who, people should find the pairs online. You know, you can so so much fun you can make by doing stuff on, online. I like and maybe another one. I'm not sure. You at the moment, are you standing or are you sitting? I'm standing. I'm standing too. Yeah, always. Why? Well, because when you stand, you have more energy than you're sitting. So if you oh, like to engage your audience, let them feel the energy, stand behind the camera. And it's it's too easy, but I see too many people, you know, that they give an online presentation. They're going to sit behind the desk, put up the PowerPoint that they used all the time in class, and then, you know, go through the presentation. I mean, you know, how, how boring can it be? Yeah, I, I t totally agree with that. I mean, I, one of the best investments is getting this stand-up sit-down desk. So, you know, when I'm working, great, sit down and I press one button and then it raises up to where I want it and happy days. Now, now, re really, one of the questions we ask everyone who comes on this show is what do you want to be remembered for when you die? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's. Do you know the book, uh, The Five Regrets of the Dying? No, but I'm going to oh, go and check there's it out. A, there's, a, there's a great book. It's called Five Regrets of the Dying. And um, it's, it's, it's from somebody who, who helped people in a hospice in their final stage. And you always ask people, you know, what do you regret? And the thing is that people never regret they didn't spend enough time at work. Okay? It's never on top of the list. They say, oh, I should have worked harder or worked better. No, I, I think most of the, the number one is, by the way, that they, that, that, that they think, uh, they say, I wish I would have lived uh, the life that I wanted to live instead of trying to to fulfill the expectations from others mm. and i i think you know if if, if that would be my 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 guess you know i said that well when you for remember that least he said we need to try his thing he followed his path you know and i tried to discover and sometimes it's about writing sometimes it's about speaking sometimes it's going to a completely different direction for example at the moment i'm investing in a small care company which is completely out of my line of ambition but it, it something came along it felt right it attached to me as a person and then bam and and one of the solutions over there is the ikigai i'm not sure if you're familiar with the ikigai 
The Ikigai is a great technique. I'm not sure I even have a book. It's not, not, not lying around over here. I think it's probably in my, my, my study. But Ikigai is Japanese, you know, we have the Olympics at the moment, so it's very actual at the moment, is that it, it says, you know, you have to, it's three, four circles, and they come all together. So in the center, it matches all. And, and the first circle is, you know, what do you enjoy? What do you get energy yeah. from? Yeah. The, the second one is what can you, uh, what are you good at? Mm. Uh, the third one is what can you make money on? So what can you make a living on? And the fourth one, what does it make the world a little bit better? Mm. And as soon as you try to find for yourself that, that center part, you know, the stuff that you're good at, that you really enjoy, that you can make your, yourself a living off. And, you know, that makes the world a little bit better. You, you know, you never don't have to work. You know what I mean? What you do is your purpose. That It's your ikigai. And you know, I've did I've done this exercise a couple of years ago, and it and, and it was really epiphanic for me. You know, it's it's the right it's it's the presenting and the writing. So 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 it, it, if if I can inspire people with my lectures, I can inspire people with my writing. You know, it's what I can. It's what I'm pretty good at, at least uh, uh, be better than others. Uh, it makes the world a little bit better because you inspire people, and I can make a living off it. You know, what more do you need? It's interesting you say that about the ikigai. I actually did that exercise without realizing that's what what it was. So I I created it in two stages. So I did the like what what am I good at? What do I enjoy? Uh, sorry, yeah. What what do I enjoy? What I'm good at? And then I did the other thing separately of like uh, would it actually make money? Um, and then like would it make the world a better place? I didn't add that in at the time because I was probably coming from more of a negative space, like. Because you tend to do those kind of things, right? When things have gone to yeah. gone to crap, and then you go, right, let's reassess everything. Um, but yeah, it's super powerful exercise. Anyone listening to this, I think definitely go and do that. If you're at a crossroads right now, you're like, where do I go? Go go and map that out because it's yeah. super cool. I, and I work a lot with young people in my company. We we have a lot of young youngsters that just come from college and they come from from from, from school. So for them, you know, they are at at a, at the start of their their discovery of life. So they have a hard time filling out this this exercise. Eh? So when mm -hmm. you have a little bit of experience, you know what you like or what you don't like. The, the thing is that the solution is really that you don't have to focus on this center part. You don't have to necessarily know for all the all the circles, you know, you don't know what you're good at, what you can be paid off. But at least if you know what you enjoy, yep. your ikigai is in the circle where you enjoy. So if you know what you enjoy, just what you explain, then you said, well, is there something what I'm, good at you know oh yeah there's something i enjoy where i'm good at okay so you're getting closer so it's not that you immediately jump to the center you know it's a discovery process but you you, you in, in circles you get there and start with what you like i mean you know then it's at least not a waste of time you've enjoyed yourself I, I, yeah exactly that makes it makes a lot of sense now that kind of links into the next question is is what is one quick win that people can use to amplify their business today what is one quick win that people can do to amplify their business today? Yes. Um, th there's, there's many of them, but one of the things that, 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 that I, you know, what I said, you know, realize yourself that in the digital world, each end user, each customer is unique and perceives him or herself as the center of his or her universe. And digital ways enable you to do that. So instead of saying, well, focus on your customer, because I think that's, that, that's the most obvious reason to say so, no, realize yourself that each of your customers are unique and they deliver, they expect to be delivered a unique custom fit services and digital means are excellent to do this. So um, 
use the Copernican Revolution. Check out Steve Denning's uh, blog on Forbes. Read about the Copernican Revolution in management, and you'll you'll see you know how to amplify your business because it will show you what to stop, and will show you what to start. And I think that's that's one of the things. If you want to amplify, you at least have to stop with fifty percent of what you're doing, because mm. that creates the time to do stuff that amplify. You know, just adding stuff doesn't really help. So find out what you should stop by saying, well, this does not give my customers a unique experience. Stop with that. Use the time to do something else. I love that. I love that. That's that's fantastic. Now, what seven-figure entrepreneur would you nominate to be on the show, Rini? Oh, that's 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 that's, that's, yeah, that's the question that I was a little bit afraid of because I, I know I know a lot of them. Um, so so the question is, who do you pick? You know, uh, do you pick somebody who's inspiring, or do you pick somebody who just made their numbers and stuff like this? Um, I'm going to nominate Jeff Sutherland because I know that Jeff Sutherland, you know, is the co-creator of Scrum. We started with he's a good friend of mine. Uh, I wrote, wrote one of my books, The Power of Scrum, together with him. He's already he just turned eighty, by the way, uh, last wow. summer, but he's still very vivid, very lively, uh, and and he's uh, he, he's running himself a multi-million dollar business just by himself. And I think it would be a great inspiration because he really internalized the ideas of discovery, growth, trying to find out what works, what doesn't, and amplify on that. So if you can get a hold of Jeff, um, it's still it's still feasible. He's still he's still still around. Use that because we can capture him on the camera. We can capture him on the on the podcast, and you know his ideas will remain for a longer time fantastic love love that and, and uh Rini, it's been great having you on the show where can people find out more about you and what you do yeah so you can find more about my books for example the formula x book or um i wrote also wrote a book on on on, on b shepherding leadership or on power of scrum on my website rinivansollingen.com and probably you're able to 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 share it um but just go to my website rinivansollingen r-i-n-i-v-a-n-s-o-l-i-n-g-n.com movies paper stuff over there to find and pretty happy happy to help and if you have the opportunity to invite me for a lecture uh, don't hesitate you know that's what i do and that's what i like the most love it love it you've been listening to the amplify to seven figures podcast with me paul ace and my amazing guest rini van soligan remember amplify your business and amplify your life bye for now Thanks for listening to the Amplify to 7 Figures podcast. To access the show notes, episodes, and this month's giveaway, head over to www.amplifytosevenfigures.com. Remember, amplify your business, amplify Amplify your your life.